0: Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Huddle Up with Howard. He's Howard Richards. I'm Mike Claiborne. Our special guest today is Kerry Davis, formerly of the University of Illinois, World, uh, Super Bowl champion Pittsburgh Steelers. And now you can hear him every day on ESPN in St. Louis, the uh, morning show. He and Randy Character have a show called The Opening Drive. And, folks, if you haven't listened to it by now, shame on you. Kerry, welcome to Huddle Up with Howard. I appreciate y'all for having
1: me. I'm, I've been waiting on this since uh, since we met
0: uh, Few months
1: ago, so I'm I'm excited to be with you all.
0: Well, we're glad to have you uh, for a lot of different reasons, and more importantly, congratulations on the great start you've had with your radio career, man. It's been fun to listen to you, and it, and it's only going to get better. I appreciate it. I've been uh you know been listening
1: to to people like yourself for a long time, and I think. Hold this- on, man! Don't start no, talking no, no, about no, when you were a child no, and you were listen, listening. to no, me. I hear I that gotta, shit
0: all the time. I gotta <laughs> tell you,
1: this is no lie. So when I met you, it was it was I, we met at at. Um, what, what's the bar? That we, Napoli. We met at Napoli about a month or so ago. That was my first time meeting you. Uh, my dad used to listen. His to his second you. home. <laughs> <laughs> my dad used to listen to you all the time. My dad was was a huge fan of yours. He passed away in 2019, but he was a huge fan of yours. Just when you would be on the Cardinals, stage. he was uh, he was just you were one of the guys that he would listen to, and he would always talk about you. So. I knew you from from my father talking about you and listening to you call games and be a part of that. So I have been listening. It's not – right. I'm not just saying something just because it sounds good. Like, this is some real shit. My dad did, did introduce me to you. So, you know, I'm just uh, – I'm happy to be, you know, in the presence with you and and to, to be a part of this right now.
0: Well, I'm sure as a child you were watching Howard wind up his NFL career because, you know, he's been around.
2: He's a great beard too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, it's funny is that the year Carrie was born, that was my rookie year in the NFL, 1981. Wow. Damn. (laughs) Crazy. (laughs) You know what? Here's a kicker. That was the first year I was born. Your beard looks a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of first that year, man. (laughs) Listen, man, I'm I'm glad to have you on, Carrie. The first question, and one of the most intriguing questions that I have is you got movie credits? <laughs> you did couple movies, painkillers and, yeah. and yeah. far far away is that right?
1: Yeah. I did uh so after about I, those. after I got done playing, I moved to LA for like a year and I was uh doing commercials. I started getting into acting, did some commercials, did a print ad for uh Extended Stay America Hotel. Um did some music, uh singing and things of all of those nature. So that was uh that was my plan post career post NFL career was
0: so you wanted to be the next Jim Brown walk off the football yeah field right yeah into yeah okay all right nothing wrong with that nothing wrong Definitely. with that at all so what
1: brought you back to St Louis uh family my kids my uh my oldest daughter was uh, still here and so I came back to you know do the dad thing and and be a father be a parent and be a part of. Uh, watching my daughter grow up and 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 just enjoy, you know, life. So, it was it was important for me to to be involved in her life. She was my only child at the time. Uh, then I had two more, <clears throat> and so uh, just just being a dad has always been one of the the best things that I think I've done in my entire. Right. Life.
0: You know we're all three uh, girl dads. Yeah, and, uh, it's something about them girls, man. Yeah. I don't know what it is that you know. As many women as we know, grown women. Yeah, but it's that one. It's that one little <laughs> one that we have that we. She has us wrapped around her finger more than any of the other ones we've tangled with over the years.
1: Indeed, my daughter is actually yeah, at Mizzou. Yeah, my daughter <laughs> is actually at Mizzou Howard, and she is. uh She's a sophomore in her second year. She just called me a couple of weeks ago. I got a flat tire. What do I do? I'm (laughs) calling Columbia towing and uh, a a company to get her a new tire.
0: So, yeah, it it never ends. Never. All right. Let's talk some football, man. Let's let's start off on the local scene. Uh, How long did it take for you to find your Illini uh, paraphernalia once they got off to such Uh a good start? Because, you know, a lot of guys (laughs) they, they put it in the closet until they start playing well. So when did you finally get on board or did you never get off the off the wagon?
1: The better question is when the last, when's the last time I wore it? Uh, it's it been a while. Um, they uh, they got going this year, and I, I keep it in the closet. I it's, I know where it is. It's, it's all in one section, uh, my night section in, in my closet. So when they started winning, I I, I put on the night gear. I'm I'm a proud night man. I'm 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 proud to have gone there and to have played there, and uh, I'm proud of what they're doing right now because they they balling.
0: When did you uh, see this turnabout take place? I mean, did you see it coming? Because I think a lot of people, when they look at what Illinois was going through, you know, they weren't the worst team in the in the league, but they were a team that just seemed like they weren't getting any traction under Lovey. Here comes Brett Bielman coming in, and he's making promises and saying, we're going to do this and do that. And everybody's like, yeah, whatever. And th- now here they are, five and one, one game away from being bowl eligible. And they have a lot of football in front of them. So when did you see the turnaround? It, it, this season. I mean, I didn't see it last season.
1: Um, you know, they 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 had a chance to go to a bowl game, lost some some games that they shouldn't have lost. They went to go uh, beat Penn State at Penn State. And then the following week you lose to Rutgers. And that's kind of the the ebbs and flows of being in a line. Now. It's, it's up and down. And this season, they are finally uh, just staying on the up and, you know, had a bad loss early in the season to Indiana. But to be able to to. Play the way that they have, run the ball the way that they have, play defense the way that they have, has been fun and exciting to watch.
2: Indiana, I mean, that, explain that one to me. I don't know I how can't. the way that team has struggled on <laughs> the quarterback position. Um, but but going forward, you know, they have a chance to win the uh, the Big Ten West. What do you see as Illinois's biggest obstacle? Uh, which team do you think is, is is the one that gets in the way of Illinois from from winning the West, or well, do you I, think it's all? From what Illinois does
1: yeah I think it's on them I think you know they got um, Nebraska this weekend they got Purdue coming up uh, Michigan State then Purdue I think that Purdue game is going to be a, a tough challenge for them uh, and then we go to Michigan uh, to Michigan to play them uh, at Michigan in Ann Arbor that's going to be a, a tough challenge but but if you win these next three games you put yourself in a position to possibly be a top 10 team going into Michigan and having a top 10 matchup versus Michigan so uh, I think they are pretty much in the the way that they have the schedule set up. They are pretty much set to to run the run the table if they continue to do the things that they they are doing so far. It's really up to them um, and and not have any missteps along the way. is going to be a, a key factor and important thing.
2: You, you know, one of the things about you the know, Ryan game, Walters. Go ahead, Howard. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I'm going to say Ryan Walters is Illinois' defensive coordinator who mm. got his start as a D.C. at Mizzou. Uh, and he had some tough years, he had some good years, uh, but he ultimately struggled, and ultimately that's why he was um, – well, he decided to move on, whether he was asked to leave or not. Uh, but he has really enjoyed success, really changing that defense under Brett Bielema. Uh, do you think that having an experienced head coach like Bielema, you think that is, has, has really helped him along with regard to, you know, Bielema having confidence in, in, in Walters being able to do whatever he wants to do? And then do you know how much input Bielema has into the the, uh, the defensive schemes?
1: Well, I, I don't know how much input he has, or or, but I do know we talked to him, uh, Randy and I talked to Bielema, I think we've talked to him about three or four times this season. Uh, and and one thing he said a couple of weeks ago is the staff that he put together, a couple of those guys worked with him, I believe, in Arkansas and, and, and Wisconsin. So he knows the work that they put in. He understands what Ryan has done defensively, and they are a top defensive team in the country. We, I'm an offensive guy. I love to see uh, Chase Brown running the football, but defensively I love what they're doing as well. They are uh, one of the top scoring defenses in the country, one of the top points uh, yards per game team in the country. And, and as you said, Ryan Walters was a guy – at mizzou maybe not looked at in that light but he is going to be a person that is highly considered for for some coaching jobs this offseason because when you have the number one defense in the country you it's, it's going to be a lot of colleges and a lot of universities looking for a guy to come in and, and run their program
0: all right uh illinois is fun to watch and i was just going to bring up the fact that i know that when you look at the schedule you say oh man they got to go to michigan Illinois has gone to Michigan before and beaten the Wolverines in their own backyard. So this isn't like untreaded water here. I mean, this is something and I'm amazed and I'm, I'd be interested to see if Brett Bilmer brings in some of those guys who were on some of those teams that went into the big house and and broke up all the furniture, because uh, I think on paper, everybody would think, well, how are they going to win? Well, they've got a track record of going there and beating them. So I'm anxious to see that game. And and I, I really like Illinois chances.
1: Yeah, I do, too. I think, you know, it's, it's one of those games. And I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it'll be the game before Michigan plays Ohio State, which for Michigan could be considered a trap game because, you know, they're going to be focused on Ohio State. No matter where we're ranked in the country, the, the teams are always going to kind of look past us. So uh, it may be an opportunity to go in there and, and still a win. And I was on that team one of those teams that went into the big house uh, and won that game. I was a redshirt freshman. I wasn't at the game, but I was on the team. Uh, one of my 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 close friends, Rocky Harvey, scored the two touchdowns late in the game. My friend Walter Young scored the touchdown in that game. And you know the the energy that that game brought to to us at Illinois was something like I had never seen before. So um, it can be done. It has been done, and it's something that if if Illinois decides that. They want to be the best team in that game. And and up front, I think we are, we are, you know, man for man with any team we play. So I think if we we go in there and take care of our business, it's gonna be a it's gonna be a good game for for the Illini.
0: Let's cross the river. Talk a little bit about Missouri football. Uh they won the homecoming game. It wasn't the most uh picture perfect game, but it was a win. But Howard, uh, this is a program that's still trying to find its way. Uh I was a little surprised at Eli Drake, which talked about earlier this week considering maybe turning over the play calling duties to someone else next season and and I think it starts there for me I mean there's a lot of things about Mizzou that I like with regard to some of the talent that's coming in but it's not coming together from where you sit you're much closer to it than us what do you see
2: well I certainly see a a program that is um, in transition still Um, compare what Bielema was able to do come into Illinois uh, and really change it around in just two years, um, and this is the third year for Eli Drinkwitz, and he's you know maybe a hair under five hundred, and basically two five hundred seasons going forward. So the expectation was that he'd take that that next step, um, and, and that has not really happened. But there have been phases, I think, that uh, at least from this year, from a defensive standpoint where this team has probably exceeded a lot of the expectations um i'm not sure where that they probably ranked, maybe 24 in the nation uh and they've played some some really difficult teams you know took georgia bulldogs um you know to the middle of the third or fourth quarter if you will uh and the defense just got tired because the offense just couldn't get any momentum and, and sustained drives and uh, as you know, that if, when that happens, especially late in the ball game, if you're playing against, against a good team, it's going to be really hard to win those games. That said, they, they do a lot of things well. The secondary is playing extremely well. Uh, the linebacker position, they're very aggressive. Uh, they play with a lot of speed. Uh, their tackling has, has been very much improved this year, and they're getting more pressure uh, at critical times on quarterbacks. Uh, conversely, on the offense, <clears throat> they have just not – there's been a regression, <clears throat> and I think a lot of it comes from uh, you've got two new starters. You've got a, basically a redshirt freshman uh, and a first-year starter at right guard who was uh, uh, you know, started off the season as a backup. And when you're playing against more experienced teams, uh, listen, it, it becomes trial by fire. And uh, it, it's not that these young men uh, can't do it, but it. To, to get your footing and, and learn the nuances of, of playing offensive line, especially in the SEC. Uh, I think where they could be helped is if Missouri commits to running the football uh, more and not be in such a big hurry uh, and, and trying to throw the ball. And it, it almost seems like they panic at times. Uh, Got to be better uh, in disallowing so many tackles for a loss. That's been one of the biggest issues. Uh, penalties have been an issue. Uh, they only had two penalties for the entire game against the Vanderbilt, which is, it's a big improvement. Uh, but again, the negative yards on negative plays on first and second downs is another thing that's plagued them aside from, um, you know, the turnovers fumbles, three fumbles in Saturday's game and almost cost them the game, one interception. If they can figure out how to correct those mental errors and they can make some noise and, you know, a few years ago, Missouri had no chance of doing anything. They started the season one and five, and then ripped off six straight wins um, to get to a bowl game. So, anything is possible. But you've, you know, it, it, it's a mental game, uh, and you've a you, you got to have your mind right, as you know, Carrie. You know this, Mike. Uh, but you got to work at it. It takes lots of work uh, and putting in extra time to correct all the things that you've been doing incorrectly through the season. And if you could focus and improve on those areas, and I know it can be done because certainly a Saturday show that they can cut down on their penalties. If you can do that, you know, area by area. Then you have a chance to improve each week.
1: Hey, I, before I was going to say, what I, when I'm watching Mizzou, they are – they lost um, by three to Auburn. You lose by four to Georgia. You lose by seven to, to Florida. Those are three games, you know, one touchdown games, one possession, one one score games where you have an opportunity to win the games. And uh, the Auburn game, you fumble in the end zone. You have a missed field goal. The, the 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 Georgia game, the play that stood out to me was right before halftime. You get down to the one-yard line. And instead of yeah. coming together, huddling taking a breath, you know, taking a taking a breath. You try to hurry up and go and you get a false start. And now you're on the on the six yard line and you don't score. You you have to kick a field goal. And that play, you know, people always talk about end of game plays and what happened at the end of the game. Sometimes it's something that happens in the middle of the game that costs you that game. Um and and I I, I put my that play right there. I saw it when I saw it happen, I said that's going to cost them. Yeah. Not getting seven in that series um and having to settle for three. Those are, mm-hmm. are are things as a, as when you're a younger team or just still trying to figure things out, those are the mistakes you cannot have. And, and for me, I'm, and I'm, I'll tell you, I'm not a Mizzou fan. I pay them because my daughter goes there. <laughs> I ain't a fan. Uh, but it was, it, it was, it was, it was disappointing. And, and I felt, I felt bad for those kids in that moment. Cause you got, you got the number one team on the ropes and you got a chance to, to really have a historic moment for those kids for the rest of their lives. Uh, and just weren't able to pull it out. But I, I do believe Mizzou is right there. They are they are right there. You know, like I said, one-score one, one score games are, are, you know, a, a toss-up of just how you finish those games and how you manage those in-game situations to make sure you score touchdowns and not field goals.
0: You, you know, you make a great point. Uh, I was thinking the same thing when I was watching that game. I think the casual fan thinks the game is decided on a field goal or something late in the game. Yeah. You know, when you're playing, like you said, you're playing Georgia, you don't get that many kicks at the can. No, sir. And if you don't cash these guys in then, then your chances dwindle immensely. And, and I think we saw that. And I think that what we're seeing with Missouri, they're one mistake away from having a better record. Yeah. In yeah. every game. I mean, it's, it's one play somewhere. Because they're not getting blown out. No. And, and that's the big key here. They're not getting run out on the street. But they're making that one mistake, or they're not making that one play that's costing them games, whether it's in the second quarter or the third quarter. And as you mentioned, a missed field goal late—there are those things that come into play. That if they can tune that up a little bit, they'd be—they certainly would be in a better shape. Hey, I want to run this by both you guys. Do we have a clear-cut, definitive number one team? I know georgia has been running the road for that for this week, this week, and certainly this season. They haven't lost since last year. But do we have that dominant team in college football? And if we don't, is it because of the transfer portal and everybody's scattered all over the place and and you just don't have the the powerhouses anymore like you used to?
2: Uh, Go ahead. Yeah, I would say uh, that you're probably – it's a really good point. I would say the answer is no. Um, You have people in the Georgia camp. You have people in the Ohio State camp. You always have people in the Alabama camp. Um, and until those teams play each other, uh, I just think we, we're all just speculating. Right. Because uh, even if a team loses um, like Alabama did to Tennessee uh, and throw Tennessee in the mix too, mm-hmm. um, it, 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 they either they didn't play their best that day or they had something else going on. You know, Bryce Young is, is, is back at quarterback, but is he 100%? If he's, is he playing at the same level he was before he, he dinged up his shoulder? Got to figure he's probably still going through uh, a little bit of um, uh, pain and, and difficulties with the mechanics of his shoulder, but he's playing through it. And you know, everyone at this part of the season has some kind of bump and bruise that uh, is going to slow them a little bit. And you have to push your way through it. But yeah, Mike, you make a good point. I don't know that there really is, and and you know, I do believe w- where teams have been able to shore up their rosters through the portal. Um, I think it has brought those teams, not necessarily the the those at the elite level at the top four, top five, if you will, but everyone underneath that, I think has has all gotten closer um as a result of, of the additions and subtractions that have occurred with their rosters.
1: I think the I, I agree. I think the transfer portal has has kind of leveled the playing field uh for a lot of these programs because uh, if you get a guy that's on the bench at Alabama, uh, but he was a five-star guy, you you can and he wants to enter the transfer portal. There's an opportunity for him to uh, to go to a, a Tennessee or or a Texas or you know and and really level the playing field for all of those college teams. Alabama is a team that they should have two losses. They lost to Tennessee, um, but they should have lost to Texas earlier in the season. If Quinn Ewers don't get hurt, uh, you're looking at a Texas team that probably was was really steamrolling them. Uh, throughout the entire game until he got hurt, so I don't know that there's a clear number one. Uh, I am a fan of adding more teams into the playoffs because um, just four teams, I, I think it's hard to decipher that. Uh, I mean, on any given Saturday, any one of those teams can have an opportunity to win. So I would, I would definitely like to have more teams in the playoffs. I know they're discussing it. it hasn't There hasn't been a decision made on it yet, but this is the reason why because you're going to pick four teams and. You may have a Tennessee sitting on the outside looking in saying, Hey, we beat Alabama. We uh we are we deserve the opportunity to be in that in that final four. So um it's it it's definitely something to look at and, and hopefully they get that fixed in the in the coming coming future.
0: Well, you touched on something, a level playing field, which means we it's more spread out, which is another reason why they should expand the playoffs. Yep. yep. I mean, you know, because we got more teams that are competing now than ever before. I'm gonna go back to something you said earlier. I thought Texas should have beat Alabama, but I thought Alabama should have beat Tennessee.
2: Right? Yeah, Alabama yeah,
0: had Tennessee on the ropes yeah, down the stretch. So yeah. they should have one loss for sure, no matter yeah, whether it's yeah, Texas or yeah, Tennessee. Yeah. It, 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 it sorts itself out. <laughs> it does. Let's take our first break. Kerry Davis, Howard Richards is huddled up with Howard back after this. There's
2: always been a bright side to living in downstate Illinois. Ameren, Illinois is making it even brighter with a little help from the sun. Right now, we're building a next-generation solar facility to bring you cleaner energy for generations to come. It's good for the environment, your neighborhood, and everyone living in downstate Illinois. That's brighter thinking. That's energy at work. Learn how you can participate in solar programs at amronillinois.com renewables.
0: Back with Kerry Davis and Howard Richards. Let's go to pro football for a minute before we start talking about teams. You guys have had a chance to play in the NFL, and you play for two, in my opinion, iconic coaches. Howard played for Tom Landry. Kerry, you played for for Mike Tomlin, a guy who's yet to have a losing season in a 15-year career. Um, What sort of people were they? I mean, on the sideline, they they look stoic, but Mm -hmm. I'm sure if you get them in a squad room, they can probably be a little bit different. So what did you come away uh, as a player, as a coach and the carries coaching in high school in St. Louis, what did you guys come away with that they imparted on you? Go ahead out.
2: Well, from the standpoint of uh, playing for Landry, uh, the first thing that comes to mind is discipline. I mean, he, he was all about discipline. Um, he was all about um, protocol uh he conducted practices meetings travel everything was a business i mean for instance you see a lot of teams traveling uh uh in very casual clothes we were definitely not that team we we always had to travel in in, in suits and ties uh and he he wanted you know, from the very littlest the smallest things you know to approach it like a business from the way that you looked and dressed uh to those outward appearances um very much old school, um, but but it's funny when a lot of the coaching points that he would talk about during the week of practice, and as I watch as an analyst and watch games today, and I see teams and players doing things counter to the way that, that Landry thought that they should be done, uh, and then the play blows up or you know the player commits a turnover, I think, wow, um, it, it, Tom would not have that uh that player w- would be doing things a lot differently um and he was successful you know he i i know he won well over 200 games i'm not sure what the uh the exact total was but uh he was a uh man definitely a trailblazer you know it, inventing the flex defense which you know when it was at the height of everything no no one could really stop it of course teams started to catch up with it and well, it was a difficult on. defense it, 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 it yep, didn't hurt to have Bob too. Lilly
0: playing on in the flex defense. <laughs> <laughs> and then well, all well, of a sudden, true, here comes man. Randy White <laughs> showing up. So, I mean, it, it, you know, those things yeah, work when you have exactly. a, a couple of good players around.
2: Uh, for I, me, I think, you know, the, the biggest thing that worked against the flex was probably age. You know, as players aged out um, and then trying to find uh, – those remaining players as you draft or or bring in free agents, trying to find players that could actually fit into, you know, that system was very difficult. And I think in modern day football, the way to be successful is not to plug players into a system, but you, your system has to adapt to the talents of the players that you have coming in.
1: Yeah. I I, I'm with you, Howard. Uh, My T is, is a, was a very disciplined coach, making sure that guys knew what they needed to do. But he was also a very flexible coach. Uh, I want to say his first year coming in, he was was the same age. We had guys on our team that may have been older than him. So you can imagine Mm -hmm. being a a first-year coach, and you got veteran guys that are the same age as you or or older than you in some instances – um understanding that you are still a leader of men which he is he, he 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 is a guy that is uh very very stern in the things that he says but also flexible there was a time where you know we're watching film and Troy does something that you know Troy Polamalu is a guy that I have never seen a freakish as freakish of an athlete as I've seen in Troy he does things that you have no clue as to why he did it or what he's doing but it works and so we're watching film one day, and says Troy, we don't we don't have this in our in our defensive playbook. I don't know what you're doing, but we're gonna add it.
2: <laughs> we're gonna add it. <laughs> we, I love it. it. I because, love it. Because clearly
1: you know better than we do, and you have an understanding. And and that's just the type of coach that he was, um, and that he is. Just making sure that that you are you are stern, you are disciplined, but also flexible enough to let your athletes be athletes, and your players are. We're, we're the ones on the field. We see it, you know, in real time, whereas you get get to go back and watch it on film. So he was one of those guys that, that trusts his guys, uh, believes in his guys. But also when you weren't doing your job, he would let you know. And it was no no bones about it. It was a standard that was uh, set by by, you know, people before him and, and players before me. So. We're gonna to adhere to that standard. We're not gonna falter. We're not gonna go left. Uh, we're gonna stay on this path because this is the path to success, and we all understand it.
2: All right, give me a good. Coach uh, Landry would have said a- he would have said, "Troy, I don't know what you're doing on that particular play. We don't have that playbook, but don't do it again. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's the difference. <laughs> like said, you're not we do not do I don't that. want to see this again. <laughs> 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 we will not be adding that. Uh, we <laughs> So give me a, uh, Howard, <laughs> give me a good
0: Landry story. And Kerry, give me a good Tom story.
2: Uh, I remember December, man, I, I'm shocked that I can remember the date. December 11th, 1983. Um, we're playing Washington at home. Uh, and the winner of the game, uh, I believe, wins the division. And, of course, you know, probably gets first round by in the playoffs. And it was a particular play. I was shuttling in plays with Herb Scott. Herb Scott, yeah. And I remember, you know, yeah, Virginia Union's finance, mm-hmm. yeah. I remember getting the play, and and Tom, you have to really listen to the play very carefully because sometimes he would get the terminology wrong. But that's where it helps to know the offense. Uh, he he, you know, I'm getting ready to come in. He's telling me, he goes, you know, tell tell, tell Danny, tell Danny, to, tell him to run, uh, tell him to run uh, this. So I got to play you know and, and give to Danny and white he looks at me uh, well, kind of like a twinkle in his eye and I'm thinking what's he gonna do? Anyway, we get up to, get up to the line of scrimmage all of a sudden white changes the play. Uh, I hear the, the I hear the, the hot audible color and I'm thinking, oh Lord because really what he wanted him to do is basically just hand the ball off to the fullback. I I think it was like fourth and and two or something like, I don't really remember what it was, but it was a makeable down. Um, And all of a sudden Danny changes the play and the play gets blown up. As I'm trotting off the field, I could see both coach Landry and Jim Myers, my offensive line coach. You're like, Three or four yards onto the field, waiting for me to come back, <laughs> and I can hear, "What did you tell him? What play did you give him?" Like, oh. Coach, I told don't him exactly shoot the messages. what you told me. I said, "I told him exactly what you called." And I just kind of went over to the bench, and then they got Danny. I don't know what happened after that, but you can hear once Danny heard the audible, and there's video and photos of this. You can hear Landry. Yelling throughout 65,000 people in Texas Stadium. No, Danny, no. And you can see him like. (laughs) Maybe one of the most animated times you'll ever see Tom Landry do anything like that. Um, That was one of my most memorable um, thoughts of, of, of Landry.
1: For me it would be it would be Mike T's first year in Pittsburgh. I was there the year uh, with Bill Cower's in Bill Cower in his last season. And so Mike T came in in 07 and it it you know the rules have changed drastically in, in terms of how many padded practices you can have, how many hours you can be on the field. Well this was pre CBA changing those rules and and we were I'm not when I tell you this I'm not exaggerating. We were in full pads the entire season. It became a running joke within us, you know. Like on Wednesday, we were getting ready for the the, the divisional round, the wild card round versus the J- uh, Jacksonville Jaguars, and we are in full pads. And so we're, we're even, like,
0: "Hey, hey, Kerry, even on Tuesday, it, on it, the it, off
1: day, it, it, if you if could have had us in full pads, he would have had us in full pads." So it was um it was in training camp. Uh, James Harrison and I are, are he's a linebacker, I'm a fullback, and we do backs versus backers every single day, 20, 25-minute period. Both practices, because both practices are are padded, and and it got to the point where me and, me and, we call him Debo, me and Debo looked at each other, hey, the next practice that we have full pads, we're going to start a fight between the two of us. I don't know if Mike T heard us. I don't know if he was around when we, we concocted <laughs> this plan, but – we had it in our minds. That's what we we're going to do. And so we told him after he canceled the next padded practice and didn't have us doing backs on backers. Who told you that we were going to – because we were going to start a fight. We were going to get kicked out of practice. I, it's no way we were going to do this. And he just kind of laughed and chuckled like, yeah, yeah. Kind of like he knows everything. But one of those deals where, you know, the head coach is, is in tuned to the players and understands – what's going on. And, and then I have another one for me personally, we were um, in training camp again and we were doing backs versus backs uh, backs versus backers at pass pass release and routes. Um, and so I caught a pass on, on one of the linebackers and I toe tapped on the sideline. And now Mike T has a very, very good knack for doing this of finding the one or two things about a person's uh, characteristics uh, that that he knows can push them or prod them and make them continue to go. Uh, he used to talk about Ryan Clark being an undrafted free agent and and different things that he would say to to get you, just to needle you just a little bit, to get you fired up. So we're watching the film and he's rewinding and he's like, great catch by our diminutive fullback. I was like, what the hell does that mean? I I, I did not know what it, I'm like, that, does, that sounds derogatory. I don't know what the hell you calling me. But I'm gonna go have to look this word up. And and so I looked it up as small in stature. And I said, Mighty, don't, don't, hey man, don't play with me. <laughs> he just laughed. And laughed and said, yeah, I know. Don't, don't stop playing with me, man. I, I yeah, I might not be sick then, but I get my job done. So he just he thought that was hilarious that he just kept diminutive fullback making a great catch on the sideline. All right, Mighty, I got you.
0: He trying to see if that Illinois education was going to oh,
1: play yeah. not Listen, I did not know what it meant, but I Googled it after, after the, the meeting. I was like, well,
0: what the hell you
2: call me? <laughs> hey,
0: let's talk a little bit about the game we see. Hey, Kerry, Sunday. I got a
2: question for you. I got a question for Kerry. One more, one more quick question. And you alluded to this about uh, Mike Tomlin uh, being younger than some of the players that uh, he actually coached. Um, I've often wondered, having a head coach that never played the game, uh, with the guys in your team, what was that attitude like? Uh, and how long did it take them to realize that, you know, just because he didn't play at the professional level doesn't right. mean that he would not be a good coach.
1: I think, you know, it's about your, your personality as a, as a man. And and I think when Mike T came in, like he, he talks about it a lot, a often being a leader of men and and when he comes into a room, he doesn't have to announce himself. He doesn't have to, you know, bang on his chest or tell you I'm here. I've arrived. You just know that that man is in the room and you have a, a respect for him. And and now in Pittsburgh, that was a veteran team that, that, you know, had just come off of a Super Bowl two years prior. They were, they were a team that was, was a lot of guys that had done it, had been, it had been to multiple Pro Bowls and, and were, were really set in themselves, but having Mike T coming in, um, you know, he just had a had something about him that you don't even think about the fact that he didn't play in the NFL. He played in college, but he didn't make it to the NFL. And you still have a uh, an immense amount of respect for him just because of the way he carries himself, the way he goes about his day to day work um, and what he expects of you. Uh, I think one of the things he started doing when he first got there, he would have the news. He would call it the news on, on Wednesday. We we, You know, you watch the news on, on, on Tuesday night, Wednesday night. It's not usually any good news on the news, and, and that was not good news. And he would show, hey, you're not finishing this play. Hey, you're not running to the ball. Hey, you didn't finish that block. You didn't do your job. And so it was a, a thing of holding everybody accountable, no matter who you were. And if you do that to, to, to your best players, if your best players are, are willing to receive that and accept that, everybody else falls in line. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, even though hadn't played in the NFL, he was a man that uh, just got the respect of the guys because of how he carried himself.
0: Boys, uh, we're at that stage of the NFL season that uh, all the fanfare is starting to die down because when we started the year, everybody was enamored with the great passing game that we saw for a number of teams. And now all of a sudden we're talking about teams that are struggling, and what is it? They don't have a running game. Mm-hmm. Why do we always have to come back to that? Why don't we, and Kerry, you play the position, you have coached the position, Howard, you blocked the position. Uh, why do we always have to come back to that at this point in the year? Because the ones who have a running game are the ones that will be playing in February. It won't be because of the passing attack. If you can't run the ball, uh, your chances of, of succeeding I think are greatly reduced. Why does it come to that every year? I I think coaches are. I think coaches are stubborn.
1: That that that's my opinion. I think, um, and I'll go to Cleveland. Cleveland is a team. You got Nick Chubb and Nick Chubb. There is no way you should you should not be giving those guys twenty five to to forty carries between the two of them, and and figuring and let the chips fall where they may. After that, Um, you know, it's just it just becomes a thing where. Uh, I think coaches want the the big passing attack. They want the the big chunks and they get, they get impatient with running the football and understanding that the more you run the football, the more you wear down the opposing defense. And there's not a DB in the league. That's going to want to tackle Nick Chubb, you know, after his 15th, 18th, 21st carry They they're going to say, all right, <laughs> enough is enough. This big fella is running full speed downhill. I'm going to get out of the way. And that's when you see those big runs. So, for me I think it's just it's they're put such a premium on quarterback play and and paying these guys absurd amount of money and and they they deserve it but they don't want to rely on the running game because you're paying those quarterbacks 25 30 million dollars a year not to hand the ball off but to pass the ball uh downfield and get big chunks.
2: Yeah, and you know and I Mike, you know this to me running the football just sets your offense up to do so many different things. Um, and you've got to have an offensive line that is a cognizant of, you know, where you are on the field, but also where you are in the game and what's at stake. You know, you've, at certain points, you've got to be able to sustain your blocks. If play is called and your quarterback says or your, or your, your tailback says, hey, I, I need a little more time to, hey, to try to get to that spot. If, if you can just if you can get them blocked and hold them up, You know, we can make this play work. That's the kind of communication that um, I had with with Dorsett, with Robert Newhouse, with Timmy Newsom, with Ron Springs. Um, So we all kind of knew and it it helped that we all knew what virtually every other position uh, had to do on the field. And that was one of the the hallmarks of of learning the Landry offense that you had to know. Maybe not every detail, but the the basics of uh, what each guy was doing on every play. Um, And I know that's harder to do when you're talking about younger players, but the biggest thing, hey, that's why the fundamentals, that's why you work on fundamentals of footwork and blocking, sustaining your blocks and blocking to the whistle. And backside blocking is so key because you just never know um, what, you know, play that starts play side and it gets jammed up. You want to roll that thing back to daylight. And if that backside block is not there, sealed off, you're done. Yep. But if you seal that block, man, and that back has got that ability to, to juke uh, and just have that little bit of extra time to exploit that little bit of daylight, man, you, you can break a play and, and score because of those little things. And I think a lot of coaches, as you mentioned, they, they panic. And um, um, they're just – they're afraid to stay with it because they think they got to get the ball downfield. Well, you know, defenses know that you got to throw, and they know when you're going to have to throw the football. But if you excel in, in run blocking – Man, I mean, you can rip off a run when everybody thinks you're going to pass just because you have that ability to do so. And I wish, I know, I I like to see more coaches be cognizant of that and and stick to it. You know, you talk about the run game. And and one of the things I've seen,
0: and and maybe Kerry, you can even step in on this more. I see now guys, instead of actually using the shoulder, instead of actually using their body, it's grabbing a guy and pushing him. We don't see holes anymore. I saw a team the other day run a trap play. Mm-hmm. And I had got out of my seat because I hadn't seen it in years. I mean, it's, it seems like we're just pushing guys and making that back, make the decision to cut back away from every from the traffic. And as Howard said, here comes that weak side guy that you forgot to block or didn't want to block as long as you needed to. He's making a tackle. That, that's where I see when I see uh, the kid from San Francisco, Boza, good athlete, and they run away from him, and he's always making a tackle on the other side of the field because he still pursues. And because that guy, that weak side blocker didn't hold him up long enough or elected not to block him at all. I just think the concept of, of run blocking has changed so much that if the first coach decides to go back to actually making a guy put a shoulder on another guy and actually blocking him, once you can get those guys to buy into it, I think the running game would be back and be back for good. I think I think part of that is is the
1: college game, how uh, it's being taught. You don't have – many teams in college putting their hand in the dirt and going forward. Most of these guys are are spread offense. They're zone blocking. They're blocking an area. Mm -hmm. The ball is going to be a lot Mm -hmm. of RPO stuff. So they're going to decide – they're going to let the quarterback decide if he gives it, if he throws it, or if he keeps it. And so when you are being taught that in college and not really putting your hand in the dirt and teaching, you know, down blocks and double teams to the backside backer and a guard pulling, you know, for the play side backer and really being physical up front. It starts in college, and it's hard. There's not enough time. We just talked about it. They don't have nearly the amount of time in pads anymore, um, and those players that are most impacted are the offensive line. It's it's really – those are the, the – that's the reason why football is, is kind of, I guess, deteriorating at that level is because of the college level and the lack of time that they get to spend working on those things and on those schemes to be more physical. A, the kids don't want to do it, and, and B, it's just not enough time once they get there.
0: You know when I saw,
1: and you added game. the point
2: that because you're not in pads, you yeah. can't simulate. It's not uh, the same full speed when you're not in no. pads. You just no. can't do it. Hey, so, when but you know when, what? When you're there on Sundays, it's a completely different feel. Mm-hmm. Here's the other thing I'm going to add on to that. You talk about pads. They don't wear
0: pads. they wearing shells. I mean, when you see Come some on. of these offensive linemen, they don't even put – remember the old butterfly uh, shoulder pads? I mean, you don't see – and I know the, the, the equipment's changed, but the bottom line is I see more offensive linemen that looks like they're wearing shells compared yeah. to actually wearing shoulder pads. So they wouldn't know how to block a guy if their lives depended on it because they've never had to do
1: it. <laughs> it, it definitely has changed.
0: Man, don't get me started on this, man, because I can go all day about this. Man. All right, while we on the subject of offensive line, present company excluded, best offensive lineman you
2: ever saw in the NFL. Howard, you want to go first? Oof. Man, I could probably give you five. Give me, I don't five. know who the best is. Um, John Hanna, yeah, uh, from New England, um, Alabama, uh, the guy, uh, uh, Ethy Munoz for sure, um, Kramer Green Bay, Um uh, Delamalor at Buffalo, it's pretty good, um. Whew, man, Art Schell. I mean, it, and I those five or the first five that came to mind, but I can, I could can probably name, if you give me a minute or two, I could probably name 15 more that would fit in the same category. Gene Upshaw, guys are good players, man. They were good in their day. They were good in their schemes and, and good with their teams.
1: Kerry, what about you? For me I'm a, I'm going to go with one of my former teammates who is he was my locker mate he was my next door neighbor in the locker in the locker room Alan Fanica. Uh big red was yeah. uh, was mm-hmm. a was a guy that for to be a big man and 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 to, to be that size could move uh move his feet you get him we talk about pulling guards a guy that could get around that that edge and could get around into that gap and and pull up in there and cause some some real life issues for for linebackers or anybody that got in his way. And then uh, a player that we played against, Jonathan Ogden, uh, I mean, just a man's man on at the at the left tackle, and they a guy, could play two positions. Remember, he, they moved him inside. He was he was a he was a man's man and and able to uh, it, it, when you see big people. Able to be a as strong as they are and b move their feet as well as they do, you you is it, really no answer for for what they can and cannot do because, um, it's just something that God gave them that they didn't give everybody else. So uh, those two people stand out to me probably the most because I saw Ali, obviously I saw Allen every day in practice and I got to see Jonathan twice a year uh, do what he was able to do.
0: I'm gonna give you a couple of guys. Uh, I'm gonna stay, start right here and say I think Orlando Pace is the last complete offensive tackle the yeah. game is gonna see because he could run block and he could pass yeah. block, yeah. and he was a good athlete with great footwork. Um, I tell you, a guy mm-hmm. that people never talk about, uh, Bob Brown, just went in the Hall of Fame a few years ago. Uh, the, the practices he used to have with Deacon Jones. Who was at the height of his game would tell me all I needed to know. When they would hmm. when they would go one-on-one and practice, everybody else stopped what they were doing just to watch them go against each other. Uh, he's a guy that stood out. Um, th- there's a lot of guys that were good athletes that probably don't get the credit that that the NFL has had come through, but there's a, but there's a handful of guys that were mountains that y- you couldn't do anything with them. You know, and they would go up against the other team's best player, and it'd be a stalemate at the end of the day. Uh, Jim Parker, who I didn't see play personally, but everybody who saw him before me told me that Jim Parker might have been the greatest greatest college offensive lineman in the history of the game, playing at Ohio State. Uh, But it's a lost art to me, and I know they have guys out there today. The kid out in um, San Francisco, Trent Williams, is a good player. But I just don't see that dominant player like I used to, where he could grab you he could put a shoulder to you. He could do anything he wanted to do with you, and he physically punished another grown man. <clears throat> just don't see it as much. It, it, it starts in college. That's that's why you're not
1: you're not seeing those college kids being <clears throat> being taught that that physically dominant, uh, you know, mauling type of uh, offensive line that 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 I probably kept become accustomed to as well as you all have. It's just more RPO schemes, and they're just getting in the way of people and not really uh forced to to be road graders like like they used to be
0: rpo yeah getting in the way that's the right way to, that's the right term to use Kerry. <laughs> fellas we could do this all day but i know everybody's got things to do carrie this has been a blast to have you be part of huddle up with howard man uh we can do so i i got an idea we need to take this to a restaurant or a bar <laughs> in the very near future i'm gonna so at We'll look at Howard's schedule because he's very busy these days. Uh so we'll look at his schedule. <laughs> we'll figure out something to do here in the very near future. So, Kerry, thank you so much for being part of Huddle Up with Howard. Thank you. I appreciate y'all.
2: CD, uh, absolutely, man. It's been a it's been a pleasure to 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 hear you talk about you know your experiences, man, and then uh echo what Mike said. You do a fantastic job with with Randy uh over on ESPN radio.
0: Thank you. I appreciate
2: that. For Kerry Davis, Howard Richards, I'm Mike Claiborne. We thank you
0: for tuning in for another edition of Huddle Up with Howard on clavesonline.com.